0: If you could take out your copy of God's perfect and holy word and open up to the uh, book of Ruth. The book of Ruth is in the Old Testament, uh, which is in the first part of the, the book. It's probably a third of the way through. If you, um, uh, if you see the book of Judges, it's right after Judges. If you see 1st or 2nd Samuel, you have gone too far. It's, it's, uh, it's the sandwich between those two uh, pieces of bread. So uh, we're in the book of Ruth. And started last week and going to continue our, our journey in this short but, uh, but very uh, sweet and very, very practical uh, book. And last week, um, we we did things a little bit differently. And um, I I liked how we did it because it keeps us all engaged. Uh, I'm going to have the scripture up here on the screen. If you follow along with the ESV, you can read along with that. We're going to be in Ruth chapter 1, starting in verse 6. We're going to go all the way down to 18. And I think together as a congregation, let's read that scripture together. Uh, Here it is. And here we go. And then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return turn with your people. Sorry. But Naomi said... And to her gods, return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. And your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried May the Lord do so to me and more, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. Father God, we thank you so much for this word. We thank you for the faith of Naomi. We thank you that even in the hardship uh, of of Naomi and Ruth here that... uh, uh, that we learn an awful lot about ourselves, we learn an awful lot about uh, life, and we learn an awful lot about the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, so would the would the words that come from my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, and would you help us to be receptive to your word this morning. And it's in Christ's name that I ask this. Amen. Well, every single one of us is going to enter into uh, some experience which has some form of pain it could be physical it could be emotional it could be relational it could be mental but whatever that the form of that pain takes on none of us are immune to it the question is is how are you going to react when times like this come last week we started our study in in the book of ruth and I'll give a brief, a brief synopsis here in, in just a moment from the text from last week. But if you weren't able to join us, I want to encourage you to go to our website, uh, listen to that message. If you have iTunes, you can go to our podcast uh, channel, or if you have an Android phone, you can find it on any podcast app there as well. Just search for Emmanuel Mora. And uh, look for that message that, that is called, How God Works in Those Big Life-Defining Moments. And our text today is sort of the aftermath from those life-defining moments, uh, especially one moment in particular with a woman named Naomi. And through it, we, we, really, uh, we really see a juxtaposition of how to deal with suffering. On the one hand, you can be like Naomi, who has lost so much. She's lost her husband, She's lost both of her two sons, and in her pain, she flees to isolation and bitterness and in turn is blind to any goodness that may be given to her by the Lord God. On the other hand, you have Ruth, who has also lost a husband and who has never experienced the joy of motherhood. But yet, when it comes to Ruth, she chooses not to be bitter. She chooses not to fall into isolationism. She rather chooses to hunker down in biblical, true love. And even when the person in which her, uh, she is loving on is incredibly unlovable. And through this little historical vignette... We should not only be able to self-diagnose where our heart is, but we should also be able to learn what love truly is and also learn how to be loved as well. Uh, I see on, on your outline there, I put, uh, three points, I'm sorry to disappoint you. I actually shrunk that down into two points. Uh, the second and the third point will, will mold together quite well. Um, but uh, just for a fair, fair uh, warning there, there's only going to be two points today. And the first one is is that we should not let our pain be our reality filter. Don't let pain, Be your reality filter. In other words, be careful to not let pain be the lens by which you view life. When you're controlled by your pain, then everything that you do in life, every experience that you go through in life, will only be seen in light of the pain that you are experiencing. Let me explain this a little bit by looking into Naomi's story. Uh, If you weren't with us last week, we looked at chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. And it's a story of a prominent family in Bethlehem, uh, led by named, a man named Elimelech. Uh, they were in the land of Bethlehem in the time of Judges, and a famine breaks out in Bethlehem, which is sort of ironic, because Bethlehem literally means house of bread. So, because there's a famine there, the house of bread is without bread. Uh, Elimelech, which his name literally means, my God is king, decided to reject God as king and bring his family to a land by which they were strictly forbidden to enter. And in time, Elimelech dies. And Naomi, his wife, is a widow, but at least she is left with her two sons uh, to support her and help her to have a, a productive life. But, In this case, anyway, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree because not only does the family choose to stay in Moab, but also the two sons, Malan and Kilian, decide to continue to disobey the Lord's command, and they marry foreign women, one named Orpah and one named Ruth. After ten years of marriage, not only are there not children on site yet, but also within ten years, both Malan and Kilian die as well. And verse 5 leaves us with this hopeless outlook for Naomi. She's an older woman who is widowed with no male sons to take care of her. And if you were a female in that culture at that time, you were completely dependent on the men in your life. So here we are left with this Naomi, who's living in a foreign land with no husband, no kids, No provisions, no protections, no real future other than begging and living off of scraps. The only thing that she can look forward to is poverty, suffering, and hopelessness. And loneliness as well, if you would take that into consideration. Now verse 6 tells us that somehow Naomi had heard uh, that uh, her and Moab had heard that the Lord had visited His people in Israel. Now the word visited there does not mean that God just came over for coffee on the weekends. It means that God has it literally means to pay attention to or to care for. So God here has come back to Israel to pay attention to and to care for his people. It points to a time in the book of Judges when the people had repented, called out to the Lord for divine help, and he graciously responds by sending bread to the house of bread. And it makes for a strange juxtaposition because we we realize that the very people who didn't care for the Lord, who didn't love the Lord when Naomi left, have repented, have come back to the Lord, and are following the Lord. And here is Naomi who was uh, known to be following and loving the Lord while she was in Judah. Now she's living in Moab, bitter and disillusioned and not loving God for who he is. The tables have completely turned here. Now, we don't know how she hears about this. There's no Facebook, there's no Twitter, there's no Snapchat, there's no New York Times, and there was no postal service even at that time. Uh, But somehow she hears about this, and Naomi decides it is finally time to come home. And as she does, it's clear that though the land of Bethlehem may have changed, Naomi's heart remains the same. It has not changed. It is obvious that that Naomi is is not coming back for the Lord, rather Naomi's coming back to Bethlehem for the Lord's stuff. Naomi is coming back to Israel for the blessing, but wants nothing from the blesser. And this will always be the case when our pain rules us instead of the love of Christ. We will look to any and every escape that we possibly can, forgetting that it is God's grace and God's grace alone that is at the root of any relief that we may have. Her bitterness has blinded her to the point that she cannot see her sin. She still doesn't return to the Lord and instead she is going to latch on to the faithfulness of other people and cash in. And she wants to go alone. Look with me in verse 8. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Now, on the surface, this sounds like a very noble thing that Naomi is doing here. Naomi recognizes that the life ahead of her is very difficult. Orpah and Ruth, on the other hand, still have a lot going for them. Both of them are still within a reasonable age of marriage. And for both of them... Uh, their biological clock is not going to run out of time anytime soon, and she reflects on how Orpah and Ruth have cared for her all these uh, all this time since Malan and Chilion died. And when and she prays that Yahweh, who is Israel's God, would show them the same kind of love that they have shown her while they've been in in Moab. And it's here. Uh, that we see for the first time in this book a word that is going to become very, very important in the book of Ruth, and it is the word hesed. And the word hesed is a very difficult word to translate from the Hebrew into English because it, it encompasses the ideas of loyalty, selflessness, commitment, unwavering kindness, and love. In the ESV, the translation that we've been using, it typically uses the word loving kindness. In the NIV, I believe it it, it might uh, uh, might, uh, translate something as as, uh, faithful love or or something like that. But Sally Lloyd-Jones perhaps provides the best definition in her children's Bible, the Jesus Storybook Bible. Where she says that Hesed love is God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Now that's some kind of love, isn't it? And that's the love that Naomi wishes that God would show them because they have shown that kind of love to her. Because at least in Naomi's mind, because of her situation, because of her pain, because of her distress, she believes that she is completely incapable of showing those two girls that kind of love. She believes that she is in no place by which she can show hesed and she also believes that God has stopped showing her hesed so why in the world should they come with her if God is not even showing her the kind of love that they are giving her You see people who are interpreting life through their pain will often believe that they have that they are no good and no use to anyone And that their stories cannot be a blessing to anyone else. Look at me in verse 9. When Naomi prays, the Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. The word rest there, it doesn't mean relaxation. It doesn't mean putting a cot between the trees and laying down. The word rest there literally means relief. And Naomi, in her perspective, is that her situation has completely voided any possibility that she could bring any relief at all to Orpah and Ruth. But Naomi thinks, in turn, that the only way that she can minister to Orpah and Ruth is to send them away is to get them out of her presence, to get them out of her misery, and get into a different life. But the Apostle Paul, in 2 Corinthians, gives us a, a, a bit of a different argument on that, and takes Ruth's, uh, Naomi's logic, that is, and turns it on, uh, on its head. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul writes this, "'Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ.'" the Father of all mercies, and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so that through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. In other words, one of the purposes... For, our, uh, for either God-ordained suffering or God-permitted suffering is so that we can use our stories to help other people. And Naomi thinks that that is not even a possibility here. And we need to understand what is happening in the heart of Naomi because when we use pain as our interpretive grid of reality, we fall into the exact same patterns and we fall into the exact same behavior that Naomi does. We often say that misery loves company, but for those of us who have been in any sort of deep-rooted suffering or pain, uh, oftentimes we don't want anyone around us. We want people to just leave us alone, get away from us. And quite frankly, when we're ruled by our pain, it is so easy to have a short fuse and be annoyed with people very quickly and have little or no restraint or even patience with people that are trying to help. Especially if that pain or especially if that help reminds us of our pain. You see, Naomi would fit in very, very well in our Scandinavian culture here uh, because she is so passive-aggressive with how she's dealing with Ruth and Orpah. To be passive-aggressive basically means that you're trying to push your way into getting something with being very indirect about it. Um, Perhaps a spouse might say to their other spouse, man, those dishes sure are getting piled up. That's a propositional statement, right? Make it a fact about something, but what does that spouse mean? It's been a few days, you haven't cleaned up the dishes, do the dishes. So in that statement of saying, boy, the dishes sure are piling up, that's a passive-aggressive attempt to get the spouse to do what they want. And, and here... Um, Naomi is using that passive aggressiveness in the sense that she is telling Ruth and Orpah to go uh, back to their home, uh, not only uh, well, because it would probably be best for them, but also, deep down inside, Naomi just wants these girls to get out of her grill. She wants these girls to get out of her face, to leave her alone, let her grieve by herself. The struggle is too hard. The grief is far too much. And Naomi just, she just can't anymore. And why would Naomi want them gone? Because when we are in deep pain, oftentimes we try to remove everything from our lives that remind us of that pain. You'll avoid experiences. You'll avoid locations. You'll avoid certain relationships because it reminds you too much of that pain that you went through. I'll never trust that kind of person again. Or I'll never do that again. I'll never go back to that place again because it reminds me too much of what I experienced. Ruth and Orpah are a constant reminder to Naomi that her sons are dead and she has nothing left. Ruth and Orpah, however, aren't buying it. Naomi's initial speech doesn't sway them at all, and so Naomi wants to, uh, she wants to pile on the passive-aggressive weight here. She gets a little more forceful, and she lays it on thicker with a logic that is, quite frankly, hard to argue with. Uh, she, in essence, says, Don't you get it? I'm not good for you. Even if I found a husband today, got married tonight, got pregnant tonight with twin boys, by the way, it would take at least 20 years before they're ready to get married, if they would even want to marry you, by the way. So do you think that it is realistic for you to wait that far for a miraculous situation such as that? I don't think so. So why don't you just go? Why don't you just leave while there's hope for you? Now put yourself in Ruth and Orpah's position here for just a moment. Naomi, in all of her anguish, she's got a point. And perhaps her last point is the most poignant one. Look in verse 13, the latter part. Know my daughters... For it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Now, whether or not Naomi is theologically correct in her assessment of God, that's not the issue here. If you are in Ruth and Orpah's position, it makes more sense to go back home And still have a chance at a normal life. But also, who wants to spend the rest of their life in misery with an older woman who is going back to a land that is ruled by a God that doesn't like her too much. This is perfect logic for Ruth and Orpah. And Orpah gets it. She kisses Naomi, they weep, and that's the, it's basically saying that she's leaving. And nowhere, get this, nowhere in the book of Ruth or in all of Scripture is Orpah faulted for leaving. She's never looked on negatively for doing so. But before we move on to our second point, there's something that we ought to take note of in regards to letting our pain control us. Notice in her second apologetic, even though her logic is solid, it seems to get a little more forceful and a little more angry. And when she does, she reveals more about the root problem that is in her heart. Pay attention to her words. If we want to understand ourselves better, and if we want to learn to love other people better, realize that oftentimes, people who are living in bitterness or pain will often give little snippets of the root issue, the cause of their pain, through the words that they use. Their actions and their tones are simply symptomatic of what's going on in the heart, First, look at the second part of verse 12. If I should say I have hope, translation, Naomi doesn't believe she has any hope. Every moment of her life is clouded with the thought that there is no possibility for her life having purpose anymore. And that there is no possibility for her life having any hope. And this feeling of hopelessness then, it seems, is rooted in the later part of verse 13 that I have up there. Which says, No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Naomi is convinced, get this, Naomi is convinced that there's absolutely no hope for her because she believes that God does not love her anymore. And it gets deeper when you notice that she uses the the, the, the term for the Lord there. She uses the word El Shaddai, which literally means God Almighty. So she's attributing the fact that the the God Almighty, the one who is Almighty, who can do anything, who is sovereign, who has control over everything is against her, doesn't love her, is making her life miserable, and perhaps hates her, and therefore she has no hope. And this is heartbreaking because it's not true. It's totally misguided. And when we uh, use pain as our reality filter, we will lose our grip on reality as well. We may hear and read in the Bible that God is gracious, that he's slow to anger, that he is abundant in steadfast love, and we will look at that verse and we will always say, that is true for other people, but it is not true for me. Because if God was for me, then I wouldn't be feeling this way, and I still can't get over the guilt of what I have done all these years ago. Or that I still can't get over these, these feelings of hopelessness. That we are too bad for God to love us, to pay attention to us. Pain cannot control us. We must instead take every thought captive for Christ and be controlled by the reality of his love for us in the midst of our pain. And that, is, that leads us right into our second point, which is that we need to learn to love well. And I would add on to that as we're going through this is not only do we need to learn to love well, but we need to learn to be loved well as well. In difficult times, we have a choice to make. We can either choose to let the pain be our reality filter, like Naomi, or we can choose to love well, which is illustrated by Ruth here. We often forget that when we read this this story here, that Ruth is in pain too, She's lost a husband. She has no children. She has probably been socially ostracized to a certain degree within the community of Moab because she married this foreign dude that came into her land. And she is looking at the prospect of going back home in shame or following an older woman to a foreign country where she might not be welcomed to a life that will be very, very difficult. But she chooses to stay with Naomi. And in doing so, she shows the ki- a kind of love that for us in this culture is totally foreign and goes against everything that is in us. What is natural, what is normal for us today is to believe that love is a feeling That as long as it feels good, as long as it's working out for me, then I'm in. But as soon as those feelings are gone, or whether the relationship becomes too difficult, or things change, um, or I'm not getting back what I expect from this relationship, then I'm gone. To go find something else that will make me happy for however long that lasts. You know, a number of years ago, I read a heartbreaking article about a man whose wife was in a nursing home suffering from advanced dementia, and she hadn't recognized him for years, and it wasn't long after her condition advanced uh, to the point that it was that he began dating again. And when she was in that condition, he made the choice to divorce his wife who was in the nursing home because she could no longer make him happy and because she couldn't even recognize him for who he was anymore. He remarried this other woman and, and literally left this woman to die because she could no longer make him happy. That's an extreme example, but that happens at a micro level all the time in our culture when we think that love only equals happiness and love only means uh, feelings. And such is not the case with Ruth. When Naomi finishes her speech about why Ruth ought to leave, Ruth totally shuts her up with her own speech about what love truly looks like. She says, Don't push me away. Where you go... I'm going. Where you stay, I'm staying there too. Your people, though they're foreign to me, they're going to be my people. And perhaps most radically, she says, your God, I'm making him my God. And in such a profound statement, we need to see how radical true love really is. Ruth is willing to give up a potentially good life that will be marked with, uh, for one, that will be marked with hardship and suffering in order to care for Naomi, an older woman with nothing really going for her and with the expectation that Ruth is going to receive nothing in return. What, What Naomi truly needs is just what Ruth is offering her. Naomi Needs someone to die for her. And giving up what could have been, Ruth dies for Naomi. It's a picture of what would be Ruth's. Great, 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 great grandson, Jesus' actions when he gave up the riches of heaven to live among the Naomis of this world, the bitter and the hurting. It is a picture of Philippians chapter 2 when Paul describes Jesus as humbling himself by becoming obedient to the point of death on a cross for those of us who live in pain and bitterness so that we can look to the cross and see that there is is indeed hope and that hope is Jesus Christ. Jesus alone can take our bitter cup, our painful stories, and he can redeem them. Jesus alone can make us who are Naomis so that our our situation, our pain is not an end of our story, but rather a means by which we can truly live. Ruth is God's grace to Naomi. And Naomi has been trying to push God's grace out of her life. But Ruth comes back and says, try as you will, push me away as hard as you can, but I ain't going anywhere. I'm staying here And such is the case with God's love for us through Jesus Christ. Doesn't matter where you go. Doesn't matter what you do. You can't push God's grace away from from you. God says that his grace may come in different forms. It may come very difficult, or it may, be, uh, may make, uh, it may be a little bit easier. But God's grace is sufficient for us in all of our weaknesses, in all of our situations, so that we can try to run as hard and as fast as we can. And God just keeps on walking with us and says, I ain't leaving you. I'm right with you, and I am not going anywhere. That is Hesed love. And praise God that he has not left us through all of our wanderings, through all of our situations, through all of our pain. We learn Hesed when we can love like Christ loved. It's love that says, I know that the doctor says that my child will be born with abnormalities and I know that the rest of my life will be spent in caring for him, but I will not abort him, I will, I will stick with him and I'm going to take care of him for the rest of his life. It is Hesed love that says, I know that my wife can no longer recognize me, but I said at the altar that day that I would not leave her, I would not forsake her in, in sickness and in health, and come whatever, nothing can stop me from going to that nursing home every single day except death itself. Hesed says, I know that that person that I love is making foolish decisions, but it's not going to stop me from praying for them. It's not going to stop me from loving them. It's not going to stop me from caring for them. I am with them. It's Hesed love that says, I know this person is being rude to me, but I'm still going to love in return and not return in bitterness, not return in those senses. It is hesed love that says, I am willing to lose my everything for the good of this person regardless of what happens. You see, love to us naturally is just a feeling and it's totally open to come and go. But true love, hesed, always narrows and limits our life. It boxes us in. And perhaps that's why we are so uncomfortable with it. It was for Naomi. Look, in verse, look at her response in verse 18. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. Have you ever had that where you're just bitter and you're angry about something, and someone loves you and it just annoys you to the point where you're just like, fine, I'm just not going to say anything anymore. That's where Naomi is here. Ruth's love quieted a disturbed Naomi. God's love through Christ quiets us in our situations as well. And we can quiet those around us when we practice such hesed love through the grace Of Jesus Christ. Suffering will bring out many different things from inside of us. Our reactions show what we truly think about God. We can either be bitter against Him or we can love well. Maybe you're here today and you're going through a rough patch, and maybe you're, maybe you're the Naomi. Maybe you're the one that, that has the tendency or are right now living in a pattern of perpetual bitterness. You realize your anger towards other people. You realize your, your, uh, your disposition to push people away. Let me encourage you, come back to Christ. Come to him in prayer right now and say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I need you to transform me. I need you to show me what true love is. I need you to love me the way I want to love others. Maybe you've never experienced that love before. Maybe you've been running from God. I don't know what your situation is today, but if that's where you are today, it is not too late to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. He'll take you from whatever mess you're in, and he will bring you into his love. He will bring you into his care, and he will save you and redeem your story wherever you're at. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and then live out our days, not just today, but for the rest of our days, loving others and loving God in chesed love. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for loving us with a love that we don't understand. Lord, it's a love that that regardless of what we've done, however far we've gone, whatever we've done, whatever we're ashamed of, maybe we were even hurt ourselves, maybe it's not a sin issue in us, and maybe we've been exploited, maybe we've been taken advantage of, maybe we've been hurt in some sort of way. Lord Jesus, we don't want to be bitter people. We want to be people who, who love well, who love rightly, who love you, who, who display uh, your goodness to us. And so, Father, I pray for those people right now that may be living in that sort of pattern right now. Lord, I want to ask that, that you would transform hearts, that right now where they're sitting, they would say, Lord Jesus, help me. Help me, Lord Jesus. And Father, would you make our church a church that is known and filled with people who love others uh, in their difficulties, in their hardships, and in all those things and all those ways, Lord. Would you do that work in us for the good of your people, for the good of your glory, so that Christ may be known in our homes, in our hearts, in our workplaces, in our communities, in our schools, God. May you just go forth in that hessed love. And it's in Jesus' name that we ask this. Amen. Would you stand as we respond to God's word?
1: saved the wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind. soon is all
0: Go from here in the power of the Spirit to love and serve our Lord. Have a great afternoon.